Welcome to the U Calgary Faculty of Social Work podcast. I'm Zoltan Verratti. One in ten Canadians are exposed to intimate partner violence in their households. As a result, children exposed to intimate partner violence, CEIPV, is the most common form of child abuse today. And while it's been shown that young people who successfully talk about these experiences may come to better understand them and how to cope to reduce the negative impact of this trauma, Little is known about how they judge the quality of their counseling relationships. Dr. Angelique Jenny, a UCAVRI Faculty of Social Work professor and Woods Holmes Research Chair, says she is unaware of any research that has engaged youth to include their expertise in the development of competency frameworks for CEIPV. A new study, entitled Integrating the Voices of Youth in Clinical Training Approaches, is aiming to change that. Led by Jenny and Olivia Cullen, a U Calgary Faculty of Social Work PhD candidate and sessional instructor, the project will see youth work with their research team to provide feedback and input on clinical simulations and a competency framework to improve training for clinical counselors. Dr. Jenny and Olivia Cullen are both here today to discuss the study, which I should add was made possible through a grant from FRAME, a pan-Canadian knowledge transfer and mobilization platform focused on sharing knowledge, connecting people and organizations, and supporting practice and policy changes for better youth mental health care. You'll be hearing more about that in just a moment. So this research is being funded through FRAME's Learning Through Living Granting Stream. Uh, Dr. Jenny, could you tell us a bit about that grant and how this project aligns with it? You know, FRAME prides itself on facilitating people with lived experience and their involvement in projects such as these. So this particular um, granting stream was designed to uh, research how researchers could co-engage with youth with lived experience with mental health and addiction issues is what the funding stream is for. And when we saw this, uh, I currently hold a shirk for this competency-based uh, work. And because it's competency-based work, uh, working with youth, we saw it as a really perfect fit for engaging youth in really giving us feedback and um, input on a, a study that was designed to serve these youth specifically. And this gives us an opportunity to incorporate their voices into our findings and into our final products. Before we get into the study itself, let's define the scope of children exposed to intimate partner violence. Could you speak to the, the magnitude and prevalence of this problem? The impacts have been known and researched for, it's still a young field, probably only about 30 years, which you would think is not young for <laughs> something, uh, but it is young. And it's not decreasing, uh, despite all of the services that have uh, an awareness that we have in society about intimate partner violence that we see uh, we don't see rates of intimate partner violence decreasing in the ways that you would like to think. And we are especially concerned because during the pandemic, we saw heightened risk for women and children for um, experiencing violence and not being able to access services because of the pandemic. The other thing, uh, given my, I've spent over 20 years in children's mental health, I have uh, a specialty in this area, 
but I see a lot of kids referred for mental health services for other things, behavior issues or other identified mental health or problems with school, that when we actually get talking to them, there is a history of violence exposure. And the research does tell us that early experiences of violence can, from infancy onwards, can impact on child's development and well-being throughout the lifespan. And we're just not doing a good job as professionals in addressing this in kids. We often address the issue that they're presenting for. And even though we might understand that they've had this past experience, um, it's rare that uh, clinicians specifically um, talk about exposure to violence and how it's impacted on children's lives. So that's where this comes from for me in terms of a researcher having done this work while well, I've committed my entire career to uh, working with families exposed to violence or experiencing violence in their intimate partnerships and in homes. And uh, I think we could be doing more. We could still be doing so much more. Uh, do you have any insight just historically of why there's been kind of this this gap in the, in the research? Is it because it's still such a kind of, as you said, a young field or? I think if we wanted to historically think about the way in which we have dealt with issues for children, um, that children's voices are often left out of most dialogues and that many of our services remain adult-centric or adult-centered. And this is part of the reason that even with this grant, where I'm specifically wanting to target young people, um, recognizing that young people aren't involved in the analysis of this data or talking about what is occurring or even the scenarios that we're using um, speaks to how even a researcher who's committed to working for children can inadvertently create a whole model with only adult voices involved. And so this uh, grant really allowed the opportunity to think differently and think a bit outside of the box about how to involve children with this experience uh, and youth with this experience in a really safe way um, to help us as researchers and uh, to hopefully help kids in the future, not just to have more skilled clinicians who are going to be able to service them, but we're hoping that another sort of offshoot from the project is that we'll have ways of educating kids about how to just how to figure out whether they're with the right counselor how to um, how to talk to a therapist or a clinician or someone who's trying to help them in the community how to understand what might be helpful and what might not be helpful and for giving them a voice in uh, and choice in what service delivery might look like for them. So this project is going to take steps to include those voices in developing a holistic competency model for clinical counselors working with children exposed to intimate partner violence. Um, when we say a holistic competency model, what does that mean exactly? Uh, so when we think about a holistic competency model, we're actually thinking about a number of factors that take place before what we would call in the field a complex practice behavior happens. So when uh, a clinician, social worker, therapist of any kind is doing their work, they do it within a context. They're working within an organization, they're working within a society in terms of values and belief systems, uh, their own as well as outside of them. And then uh, the model itself, uh, designed by uh, Dr. Marion Bogo and, and others, has 
evolved to, it has quadrants of there's implicit and explicit skills. It's what I know. It's what I've learned. It's also what I might have experienced in my own life that melds together. So it's the knowledge that I'm thinking about. It's the emotions I have at the moment that the child is telling me what they're telling me. And uh, so there's this way in which I use knowledge and my ability to manage my own emotions and uh, then how that demonstrates itself in a particular skill, whether that be the performance of a safety plan or a risk assessment when working with this child. So I might use knowledge of risk assessment while also managing my concerns about how uh, much risk the youth is at that I'm working with enough that I can actually ask them the questions and not get caught up in how scared I am for them, for example. And that's so the holistic competence is how all of these factors is very complicated. Uh, the things that a therapist is doing on a uh, on a cognitive and emotional level in order to ask the question. So even if even at this moment as we're talking, Zoltan, I have to think about what do I know and what do I want to tell you? How can I manage my anxiety about being interviewed at the moment in order to actually create a question or an answer that makes some sense? And it's the same thing if I was working with a youth, I'd be taking their material, they're asking me things, or perhaps they're telling me things, and I have to take it in and think, and weigh it against my experience of other kids who have said similar things or what the research says or what I know that a clinician should do in this moment. And I have to put it all together and actually do something with that knowledge. And that's what we mean when we talk about a holistic competence is that I have this range of things going on inside of me that results in an actual procedure or um, motion towards doing the, the counseling for the child in front of me. So let's talk about the methodology of how you're going to bring in these young voices. I, I understand that they will be there to provide input on the believability and efficacy of clinical simulations. Uh, is that correct? Yeah. And if we take a step back that we didn't just make up, you know, there is there is literature already out there about competency development and models. And so what we did was uh, a scoping review of the literature on competency. We then uh, looked out at the literature on working specifically with children who've been exposed. What do we know? What, what has already been studied? We looked at practice documentation as well. And when I say practice, I mean, um, you know, program manuals from women's shelters and children's mental health agencies where we, where we might find how people are instructed to do their work. And we put that all together in this very academic lens and took out the themes. And then we found experts from across Canada who would identify, self-identify themselves as people who have you know, 10 plus years in working with children in this environment, we interviewed them about um, what do you think is important and what happens when, and we gave them case vignettes uh, as we gave them standardized case vignettes to tell us what would you do if, and, uh, and then we had them tell us, give us an example of something that illustrates their skill and practice. We put that all together and created a scenario, a couple of scenarios with youth being counseled. And then we put uh, professionals from across Canada through that 
simulation with an actor that we trained and piloted. Uh, we piloted with students at the bachelor level, the master's level, uh, the mid-career. We piloted it with professionals as well so that we would get the character just down right. And then we had professionals interview that youth, those two case scenarios. And from that, we are uh, taking those themes of, so we had them do the simulation and then we met with them and said, what was happening here? Can you tell me what you were thinking at this moment? Why did you say this at this particular juncture, for example? And from that, thematically, we heard professionals from across uh from across Canada saying very similar things. I'm doing this because of this. This is um, what it looks like to talk to a child about their safety. This is what it looks like to assess risk, etc. Then we are hoping, and we'll take ones that we think are particularly strong, or if we've decided, you know, um, here's a great example of what it looks like to talk to a kid about their safety. Then we want to show these youth and say, this is what's happening here. Do you agree with that? Because uh, as adults, this is what we see. This uh -huh. is what we heard happened. But as a youth who's had this experience, as a youth who's been in counseling before, how would you have felt had you been that youth? Or did the youth that we created out of the scenario ring true for you? Or do you see things that, no, he wouldn't have done that. He would have said this or whatever. So we're wanting to hear their perspective on our findings before determining that that's actually the best method to use. Because once again, it, it's all adults deciding what is the best thing for a youth and perhaps we don't know which is the that's the question that every researcher is looking for what is what is it that I don't actually know and how can I find it out and and how many youth participants are you, are you hoping to have and what's kind of like the timeline for the project so and at some point Olivia you can weigh in at any time because Olivia is really leading this project as a doctoral student at U of C it's connected to a larger grant of course um, but Olivia has the expertise in participatory action research uh, working with youth and so she's leading this project with her expertise and from that she's hoping to uh, recruit uh, did we say 12 to 15 youths Olivia? 10 to 12, uh, we might go up to 15, depending. We're really hoping to capture diversity within participants, like location, um, socioeconomic, racial, all of that diversity. We're hoping to capture that so that we can get, just as we've had experts from across Canada and the diversity and practice experience, we want to capture diversity and youth experience as well. So 10 to 10 to 15. Okay. And Over a six-month period, basically. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And then maybe Olivia can answer this one for me as well. So how will this understanding help in, in improve service delivery? Well, so we're really hoping, again, you know, as Angelique's been saying, that all of this is done generally with adult experts. That's the perspective, um, adults who do the counseling. So we're really hoping that this will make it, you know, more holistic. It'll really, it'll add another perspective. So ultimately, if we have youth perspectives in 
you know, what works well in counseling or if they agree that this is an important competency for clinicians, for students learning to be clinicians and to work with this population, if young people are agreeing and telling us, yes, this is important or no, this is actually important, this would have, you know, been really helpful for me, then we can hopefully use all of that information at the end to improve the experiences of kids and young people who go to counseling in the future um, and the increase the competency of students and professionals who will be working with that population and will also the young people involved in the project will also help us to create they'll get to decide on some educational resources and what they sort of want to do with that data at the end as well so um, it'll be really up to them like maybe you know one example is maybe they'll want to create something about what to what to look for in a good counselor or what makes a counseling relationship good um, so they'll also be able to have some say in what sort of resources we create and what might be targeted at young people who don't know um, who don't know that you know they can ask for a different counselor or they can advocate for themselves in, in that sort of way so I think um, yeah, hopefully those outcomes will really improve the experiences of young people in the future who are going to counseling for exposure to intimate partner violence, but also just going to counseling in general. And I think we're also hoping that they're going to learn skills in research as well, that part of this would be increasing learning and capacity and voice in research projects. And the other outcome that is particularly of interest to frame and should be to all researchers is what can we learn from this particular research project that will help all researchers uh, discover ways of incorporating youth into work that is uh, into any kind of research project, but particularly research that uh, involves and is designed to serve youth populations. And uh, I believe, if I read correctly, there are a couple other team members, if you'd like to acknowledge them or tell me about their roles. Yes, Dr. Katrina Scott is at the Center for Research to End Violence Against Women and Children at Western University. And uh, we are co-PIs along with uh, Dr. Peter Jaffe and Dr. Linda Baker on a larger grant looking at competencies. So this is uh, putting kind of taking uh, that grant to the next level, which is looking at the practice outcomes of, uh, of the competency frameworks. And, uh, and we of course have a brilliant research coordinator, Nina Frampton, who's also helping us manage all the logistics. And there are quite a few. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Okay, thank you. Um, before we go, is there anything else you'd like to add that we may have missed? Well, at the end of the day, the entire project was designed around understanding that no one person is the holder of this kind of knowledge. And that's why we've really engaged with so many experts from across Canada and gone to the literature. And this is a model that we will be testing and and adapting for years to come because over the past 30 years, we have learned so much more about how to best serve families where intimate partner violence is occurring. And I think we will continue to learn that information as we go forward. So of course, uh, models and frameworks should be built to change and be adaptive. And this is another added piece where 
uh, the project got started. Now we want to hear from youth who will have some real personal experiences to bring to this and add a level of depth and um, validity is not the word I'm looking for, but meaningfulness to what we are finding and what we might what might come out of this is uh, more research questions and 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 more experiments around and more simulations. We have uh, we've got two kids. Uh, already, but we've developed uh, two. We've developed family members. We have uh, a mother and a father as well for our scenarios. The the kids won't be seeing those just yet, um, but that might be something in a year from now that we'll be doing something similar. And because of this frame opportunity, we might because we'll have this knowledge, we'll be able to incorporate youth even earlier in that process. Great. And uh, Olivia, anything else you'd like to add? I think the only other thing that I think is important, um, we talk a lot about collaborative research and we talk a lot about, you know, engaging um, different populations and doing doing research in different ways and more collaborative ways. Um, But I think it's really important to acknowledge Angelique, Dr. Jenny, um, for being willing to try these different things and giving me for me personally, like this opportunity to lead this part of a project that I'm very passionate about and building those skills, like for me as a future researcher as well, that, um, that doesn't always happen. But I think that Angelique has been very supportive in doing different research and in allowing me to sort of build those skills and take this on and, um, So I think that's important to also acknowledge. That brings us to the end of another episode. We'd love to hear from you, questions, comments, suggestions. If you're listening to us on Anchor, there's a a messaging option on our main page. Or you can reach out to us at fswcoms at ucalgary.ca. And catch all that, there will be a link in the description of this episode. And that's it. Until next time, take care.